Welcome to the State of Research podcast. For this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Alex Miskolik and learn about fungus, particularly the types that pose problems for human and animal health. Alex is a postdoc student in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Pathology at Colorado State University. I'm actually happy to say I don't have any personal experience with this topic because today we'll be talking about ringworm. This is a really cool research project that has some very practical applications that I know all animal lovers listening will really appreciate. Alex is working on improvements to curing and identifying ringworm in felines. And like our podcast with Nelson Isaacson on 3D printing bone, Alex is also part of the programs of research and scholarly excellence with the Vice President for Research, a program that looks to support student research projects with the funding and resources to enable the studies they look to undertake. I'm Ty Betts with the Office of the Vice President for Research at Colorado State University, and this is The State of Research. So thanks for joining me today, Alex, and I know that you're a mycologist, Yeah. and that's what you study, but you also are studying Japanese right now with plans to go there this summer, is that right? Yeah, um, so I've been doing Japanese here uh, for the last two years, um, and I'm planning to go in June. I'm really excited. Awesome. Where, where are you going? Um, so we're first going to Tokyo uh, for like about a week, and then going to Kyoto, and then Osaka. Awesome. So, so what made you want to study Japanese? Uh, So in high school, I was getting really interested into the culture and so anime and then also the food. Um, But unfortunately for my high school, we only had Spanish and French. And so I didn't have really the opportunity to take Japanese. So I kind of put it on the back burner. And then once I came here to CSU, they had Japanese and I was really excited. So now I'm doing Japanese. That's really cool. So you're completely new to it? Yeah, it's, it's completely new, um, which is wonderful. It's kind of an out there language, but it's really unique and quite fascinating. Is it really challenging too? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, especially the writing system because it comes from Chinese. And so just learning how to write it um, and talking, is it's quite difficult, but enjoyable. Yeah, I bet it's a good flex of the brain muscles to switch between researching fungus and then trying to learn a new language. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's really nice to kind of, you know, go to Japanese, not have to think about science for a few minutes, and just really focus on something completely different than what we do in the lab. And where did you grow up? Um, so I'm originally from California, born and raised, nice. um, and so I went to school there too. And do you grow up skiing or snowboarding? Um, so I grew up water skiing. Okay, really cool. <laughs> um, which is kind of a little bit different than snow skiing. I was asking because I heard Japan had some really great ski resorts that I'm trying <laughs> to get to at some point in my life. Yeah, there's definitely up in the northern regions, they get some of the most snowfall in all the world. So okay. yeah, well, I'll have to go there in the winter sometime. And Tokyo, I think, is like one of the biggest cities in the world. So I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Yeah, we're exciting. very excited. And so you didn't study mycology originally. You were an engineering student? Yeah, so I kind of come from a family of engineers, so everyone's an engineer. So when I was going off to college, my parents were like, well, pick an engineering. Um, But I always had the passion to be a veterinarian. Um, I grew up with tons of animals, and my grandma's kind of this stereotypical crazy cat lady, and so that kind of rubbed off on me. Um, And so going to college, it was like, well, what engineering sort of correlates to that, and the closest was biochemical. Um, and so that's how I got into the engineering side of it, but still trying to do the biology. So Alex, you're currently a veterinarian, and usually when I think of that, I think of someone that's working directly with the pets and animals that come into the clinic. Um, So how did you get into the more medicine side of things? 
So using my engineering degree, it was kind of broadened my view of what veterinarians can do. And especially once I was in vet school, you have a lot of these different professors who are teaching you who are doing these amazing research projects. And so it kind of broadened my idea of what a vet can do. And so I think that's one of the beauties of veterinary medicine is that kind of the sky's the limit. So you can go work at like the USDA and inspect meat or work with cattle, uh, or you can be on the research side of things um, and kind of be in the lab and fund these research projects, kind of propelling forward the veterinary medicine. Um, And so that kind of really interests me of how can we fix the problems that the clinicians are having and really delve down into these deep problems that um, need solving. So when you're entering the world of infectious disease research, aren't there sort of three different routes you can take with the bacteria side of things, viruses, and then fungi? Yeah, so there's lots of different opportunities. Um, There's also parasites, throwing that out for the parasite people. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so... During my undergrad, um, when I was in engineering, I actually got started in research, um, and it had to do with virology. And so that was kind of my introduction to, like, what is research and infectious diseases. And so that kind of uh, piqued my interest. And so then in veterinary school, I really wanted to do infectious diseases. Um, And so I was like, well, I've done virology. Let's try bacteria. Okay. Did not float my boat. Um, And so then I went back to virology and I was like, oh, I'm really interested in this. Um, And so I came here for grad school thinking I would do virology. Um, But then after chatting with my uh, professor and we're kind of like, well, what are some problems for veterinary medicine? And what came up was um, ringworm, which is a type of fungus. And so really got interested into that. And so I've kind of just gone down the rabbit hole of fungus. That's really cool. And so you're Interested in ringworm as it relates to cats and felines, is that right? Yeah, so cats in the shelter, um, they get this pretty horrible disease, uh, ringworm, which people can also get. Um, And it's just like this fungus that gets on their fur and their skin. Um, And the really big problem for shelters is like you get this stray little cute cat that comes in, has this little area, and you're like, well, I don't know if that's ringworm or something else. Um, And so you have to quarantine it, and this whole time it could be spreading this like fungus throughout the whole shelter and getting everyone infected. Um, And so that's a really big problem. And so that's kind of what we want to tackle. As a disclaimer, you can Google search ringworm, but you might not like what comes up in the Google images. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) So as an animal lover, do you have pets of your own? Oh, very much so. Um, So I have a a little Siamese cat. He's quite the talker. Um, And so we actually take him out into the backyard on his little harness and he likes to walk around and enjoy life. Um, and I also have a Newfoundland and a Great Pyrenees. So and those are giant dogs? Those are over 100 pound oh dogs each. Lots of fluff. They've broken a few vacuum cleaners, oh but they're, they're cuddle bugs. So. so you're clearly an animal lover and to help animals, you study something called dermatophytosis. Can you explain what this is? So it's kind of this like broad umbrella term um, for any fungal infection that you get like on your skin, your nails, your hair. And so that's kind of like the broad term. And then the actual organisms, what they call, are dermatophytes. Um, and so those are the type of fungi. Okay, and this umbrella term includes ringworm as well as a type of dermatophyte? Ringworm is usually what you think of as like on your skin. It's kind of like that red circular pattern. Um, you can also get it on your scalp, on your face. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and it also presents the same way in cats. 
Okay, so it's a disease that affects both humans and animals, and is it treatable fairly easily or no? In the human side, you can um, treat it fairly easily. Um, you can usually put like topicals on it, put a Band-Aid on it. Um, however, if it doesn't go away, you'd have to give oral medications. Um, and the real big problem with most fungal medications is it can really damage your liver. Um, so most of those are not great options. And then for the veterinary side for cats, as you can imagine, trying to put a Band-Aid on a cat is mm -hmm. not really doesn't practical. Yeah, so usually what we have to do in the shelter is actually dip them in lime sulfur, which is not pleasant if oh, you've no. ever met a cat trying to put them in a bucket of water. Yeah. Um, and so the cat doesn't like it. It also smells like rotten eggs. Okay. <laughs> and so it's just a horrible experience for everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> so when a cat comes into the shelter... Do you know right away if it has ringworm or not, or is it hard to tell? Yeah, it's actually kind of hard to tell for cats. Um, so usually what happens is you get a stray cat off the street, they come into the shelter and they have like a little area on like their paw or their face of hair loss. And so you don't know, did that cat just scratch itself? Did it get into a fight? Or is that actually ringworm? And so the current diagnostics right now is doing a fungal culture. So you actually take a toothbrush you brush the cat and then you put that on the plate to let it grow and that can take up to two weeks. Okay, wow. So you really, during the two weeks, you don't know if that cat has ringworm or not. And it could be getting worse during that time? It can be getting worse. It also can be spreading it to like the Kate, like the uh, kennel next to it and the people handling it. So this whole time it can just be spreading that everywhere. So what are some of the challenges that come with studying fungus in general and ringworm? There's kind of two camps for the main problems for ringworm. One is the diagnostic side, and then one is the treatment side. So uh, for the diagnostics, you can do the culture, which can take up to 21 days. Um, but then also an other ones are using this lamp called Woods Lamp. And so it's like a modified UV lamp that you can like use um, on top of the cat and see if it's actually has ringworm because some of them will fluoresce and make this like really pretty blue color. Okay. Um, but that doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. um, and then also you can uh, send it off for a PCR. So that's going to look at the fungal DNA. Um, but again, that's pretty expensive for shelters to do. Um, and so a lot of them don't have access for that. Um, and then the treatment side, dipping cats in lime sulfur. <laughs> yeah, not pleasant. Yeah. So what is sort of the goal of your research and what I guess benefits could come from looking into this more. Our goal, um, so we're designing a new diagnostic um, that's actually targeting the metabolism of the fungus. And so what we're doing, so when the fungus is on you, it's trying to eat your skin or your hair. And so that's made okay. out of keratin. And so what it does is it excretes um, one of the chemical compounds and it breaks down this keratin and then it reabsorbs it. And so what we're targeting is um, what it's excreting, the, one of the metabolites. And so it's based off of if the fungus is actually metabolically active and causing an active infection. So that's what we're trying to design, something that's rapid, um, easy to use in the shelter. For the people working at a shelter, what would the process look like for them to detect ringworm using this new method? What we're kind of envisioning is you have a, a cat come in um, and the veterinarian's looking at it, and they're like, hmm, I'm not sure if this has ringworm. And so they'll take their toothbrush, brush the cat, get the fur, and then take the fur and put it into our solution in a little tube. 
And so the solution starts off as this like really dark blue color. Um, and once they put the hair in, we let it incubate for a few hours. And then if it does have ringworm, it should turn clear. And so they only have to just let it sit on the counter for a few hours to let it know if it's ringworm positive or negative. That's really cool. And it'll decrease the time from two weeks to just one day and then and they know if the cat has ringworm or not. Yeah, so, and since the fungal metabolism is very specific to dermatophytes, since um, what they're eating is the keratin, not a lot of other fungus can actually eat that, and so it's very specific to ringworm type of fungi, and so if you have, like, other random soil fungus in there, it shouldn't react with it, so it will be very specific for ringworm. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what makes studying diseases related to fungi different than other diseases? One of the really interesting thing about fungi compared to viruses and bacteria. So bacteria and viruses, they kind of have their one form. You know, you have your virus capsule and it infects your cell or you have your bacteria and it, it's its one cell shape. But for fungi, they can actually have um, two different forms. So they can be in their spore form, which is kind of this unicellular shape or in a hyphae, which are these long thread-like structures. And so what they can do is they can become a spore and sit out in the environment for like years. They're resistant to a lot of different things. And so they can just like sit in your carpet. You don't know it's there. And then once it gets on a host and it has the right conditions, it can actually turn into the hyphae. And that's when it starts growing on you. So when you're trying to target this disease, you kind of have to keep in mind all forms. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to prevent one thing from happening, it could sort of switch and then become a spore and then be released into the air. That's one of the really big problems of why um, you have to decontaminate the environment in these shelters is you can just get spores on the floor or on um, some of the instruments you're using in the shelter. And now you're transmitting it to future patients. Have we proven that fungi aren't some alien species that's come down to Earth in some, some way? In some of them, they're definitely, that was not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, seems like it. And in hospitals, they're also facing some problems with fungi being an issue. Can you talk a little bit about that? Pretty recently, within the last year, um, there's this one type of yeast um, that's been um, occurring in hospitals, mostly on the East Coast, and it's drug-resistant to pretty much everything that we have. Wow. And so what's happening is it gets into the hospital and it can get into the ventilation system or into any of the instruments. And it will just sit and persist there until it can get onto someone who's in the hospital. Um, And what happens is it will get into the the patient, get into their bloodstream. um, And since it's resistant to everything, you can't treat it. And so it's actually killing people. And when we're talking about ringworm and in shelters and transferring to humans, this is also presenting problems in wildlife. Is that true? Yeah, so it's kind of uh, interesting how it's happening. So there's been two separate cases of uh, ringworms or dermatophytes actually killing um, wildlife. So up in New England, the cute little porcupines are getting another dermatophyte, um, which is the one that causes athlete's foot. Okay. And so they're getting that one on their skin, and it causes a porcupine version of ringworm. And what's happening is their skin is actually... Um, becoming really thick and inflamed and so their quills can't come out and so then they have trouble walking and then they can't forage and then they can die um, just from athlete's foot yeah Um, and then the other one that's also really strange is down in Florida so the Florida panthers there are actually getting 
feline ringworm, um, but since they're so inbred, um, they're not, their immune system isn't able to handle this simple infection, and so the little kittens are dying from it. Do we know a lot about where this fungus originates or where cats might find it in the first place? So most of the shelter cats, it can just be persistent out in the environment um, since the spores are pretty hardy, so they can just sit in the soil, wait until a cat comes by and gets okay. onto it. And the fungi that you have in your lab, where does that come from? Yeah, so we are actually um, coordinating with a lot of shelter vets across the country. And so what they do is they, whenever they suspect they have a case of ringworm, they take the toothbrush, brush the cat all over, get the um, fur, and then they send it to us. And then we take that toothbrush and we split it into a few different samples. So we put it part of it onto the culture plate so we can actually see it grow um, as that's the gold standard for confirming you have ringworm. Um, and then we take another portion of it and put it into our assay and see if we can get it um, to work and show um, the same results as the culture. That's really cool. And something I'm curious about, do you think your time as an engineering student has helped you now in the world of infectious disease research? I would definitely say so. Um, it's definitely given me more of a mindset of what are the practical problems that veterinary medicine faces and how can we solve them? So a lot of the engineering courses we had were, you know, you're designing a biotech facility. How do you design it? How do you get your product through? Um, and what are the challenges like real world that you have to face? Um, so I feel like I've definitely carried that over to this type of research, where it's what, what, are, what do clinicians need when they're in the room with the patient? And like, how can we help them practice medicine better? I definitely feel like I'm still um, helping improve, especially the feline medicine, like their quality of life um, and just have access to better medicine. So, yeah, yeah. I don't get to touch the cats as often, yeah, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> well, if they have ringworm, you know, maybe yeah. you don't want <laughs> So is there anything that makes you excited for future applications of this research in particular? So I'm really excited after we've gone through all the uh, quality assurance and quality control testing um, and hopefully next summer we can actually get out into the shelter and start testing this like patient side. And so, you know, when you get a patient coming in, we can actually test it right then and there. We're really hopeful after we've been able to do that and validate it to actually sell this as a product right. for shelters to have. And so that they can just do their in-house testing and, um, be able to diagnose these cats much sooner. And then another um, thing that we're really excited for is potentially looking further into the metabolism of these fungi and seeing if there's a way to develop a drug that's specific for the fungi. To prevent cats from getting the ringworm in the first place? No, to actually treat it. So we okay. don't have to do that horrible lime yeah. sulfur dipping anymore um, and hopefully develop a drug that's specific for the fungi um, since fungal metabolism is pretty specialized to the fungi yeah. and they have a lot of pathways that cats don't have because okay. cats generally don't digest keratin and so we're hoping to kind of exploit that pathway. Well I bet the cats would really appreciate that and not yeah. having to do the baths anymore. I'm sure the the veterinarians would too. <laughs> and so we talked about you know in shelters time being a really big concern and also price I imagine is really important for them so would this method be a low cost that they'd be able to use fairly frequently? So most of the chemicals that we're using in our assay are pretty cheap. 
And they're also room stable, so you don't need refrigeration, which is a really big benefit since a lot of shelters either have a very small fridge or they don't have access to that. And so having something that's low cost, room stable, and kind of user friendly and has a way to interpret it that's pretty objective. So, you know, is it blue or is it clear kind of thing. And as a mycologist, are there things that you've learned from this project that you plan to take forward or things that you've learned that you'll take to future projects? Yeah, definitely um, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. And so for fungi, they're so heavily dependent on their metabolism, which when you keep going further and further down is actually just organic chemistry, which I am fully able to admit I am not a chemist. Um, And so we've actually been collaborating with the Um, chemistry department and kind of getting their perspective of how different reactions take place, what's a better way to target certain metabolites. Um, And so they bring their expertise into the actual chemicals side of it. And we bring our expertise of the biology side. Yeah, that seems to be like a common theme that I noticed in a lot of research projects is that that collaboration part is really key for having a successful study. Yeah, I would definitely say that's one of the biggest things about being at a big research institute is you can just walk across to a different building and be able to chat with someone who has completely different expertise than what you do. And so that's really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Alex. It was really great to learn about this project. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, I was actually surprised to learn that we've had such trouble identifying and treating ringworm and cats for so long, considering how difficult this can make things for shelters. The benefits of this research could be realized relatively quickly with the study, it seems, so I wish Alex the best of luck with this project. Of the many takeaways I've gleaned from this episode, the main one might be to stop petting the stray cat that comes by my house to say hi from time to time. But this is why I'm thankful for researchers like Alex that are studying diseases that sometimes we aren't thinking about. Thanks for listening. We are now on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and SoundCloud, among others, so follow us to stay up to date with this data research.